What if you opened a ring box and it was just one <laughs> kernel of gold popcorn? I'm doing that. I'm doing that. My what a great idea. Tonight. wife would probably have thought that to be the worst engagement ever. I'm Ginger Birkenbuehl. And I'm Esther Ikoro. And we're the hosts of the Honest Field Guide podcast. Entrepreneurship is no joke. The journey is full of anticipation, failure, hope, and disappointment. You'll make money and be totally broke at the same time. The Honest Field Guide podcast tells you the truth. We know being an entrepreneur is crazy hard and you will sometimes cry at dinner. Listen in to be inspired, laugh, and learn how to really thrive on your business journey. Hi, Ginger. Hey, Esther. How's it going? It's going awesome. Gosh, we are about to have an amazing conversation. Why don't you tell everybody... Who's here with us today? Matt Burko Berkovitz is the founder and CEO of Burko's Popcorn, a graduate of the University of Southern California with, with dual degrees in psychology and political science. He was born and raised in the city of Chicago's Lincoln Park neighborhood. Burko's is known as the premium popcorn company. Burko's is an omni-channel purveyor of gifts and snacks, offering a variety of flavors, including way-too-expensive white truffle and world-famous best-ever mix. They're also the makers of Burko's Billion Dollar Popcorn, the most expensive popcorn in the world. Celebrating their sixth year being in business this past June, Burko's strives to fulfill its mission to bring joy and memorable positive share experience to all by providing an entertaining and delicious product that people can enjoy on their own or share with others in a meaningful way. It's not only going to be an amazing conversation, but... I can't wait to bust open this bag of amazing popcorn that we are looking at right now, Burko's Popcorn. And Burko's is this amazing local Chicago-based but global company that has the world's most expensive popcorn. And, you know, everything I like just happens to be expensive. So this is right on brand for me. <laughs> what is what is up with that? Why do, why do we like expensive things? Because they just taste better. I don't know. <laughs> I know, right? I mean, I like expensive clothes. I love expensive shoes. Mm -hmm. I love expensive spa treatments. Expensive water. Everything. Expensive you know, mistakes. Expensive school. Oh, yeah. There definitely expensive mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> you can't quantify those stuff. kind of mistakes, though. Mm -hmm. You can't really quantify those. But Burko's Popcorn. So we're sitting here with Matt Berkovitz. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Really excited to be here. It's the first podcast I've ever been on. So what? hopefully I don't embarrass myself and as we, and as we endeavor and through this next hour-long journey. This is going to be my first time eating a whole bag of gold-flavored popcorn. So it's yeah. a lot of firsts today, I think. Yeah. I mean, and so we're, we're si we got these two bags in front of us, Matt, of your amazing popcorn. It says Burko's Popcorn, Corn, World Famous Best Ever Mix. And it's beautifully packaged. And there's a blue cloud, which I think is really cool because it kind of reminds me of you know, Google Cloud a little bit, which I like, but you probably didn't want to hear that, but I'm just being honest. No, I'm, <laughs> honest I'm, I'm, podcast. I am as pro Google as anyone can possibly be across all platforms, devices, and Whoa. endeavors. Whoa. Whoa. That was a huge endorsement. So white bag filled to the brim with popcorn. I can't wait to open it. I'm not going to open it yet. And then I have this beautiful black box with a gold label closing it, which is shaped like a cloud. And it looks precious. What what's what's going on with this amazing box? Or should I just wait to open and be surprised? I think you so rarely have the opportunity to be surprised these days that you might just hold off and, and figure <laughs> it out on your own. Because really, uh, you know, everyone's always all about the spoilers and knowing things ahead of time. So 
take take a chance. Hold off. See what's in there. What do you no. think is in here? I have several ideas of what I think is in there. I do have one question. Is that a cloud or is that a popcorn kernel? The backstory there is that when I got started, uh, the designer I was working with, I told her I needed a thing. Mm. She goes, what do you mean? I go, well, Nike has the swoosh and my other friend's company has this and, you know, Adidas has the three stripes. So I need a thing that can stand alone on my packaging and then we can do more with it. And she goes, okay, I, I get it. And that's how the kernel came to be. And it's the uh, kind of the 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 ornament element of our packaging. I love it. You know what? Before we go on, because I do need to read your bio because it's pretty amazing. I'm going to really? actually, I am going to okay. open this popcorn because I can't resist Are you going to eat some of the popcorn? I'm going to eat some. The microphone? Okay. Can you so please as, not tell all my secrets? As, as Ginger's chomping away here into the microphone, so. what she's eating is our world famous best ever mix. It's yeah. Chicago style and a combination of our best caramel corn ever along with our world famous white cheddar. Awesome. Okay, well, here's my first bite. Mmm. Disturbing. Can you pass the popcorn over here? No. For an audio medium, I think that it's acceptable and agreeable. Oh, my God. Here's a piece of caramel. I did have a second bag, but as we are in Chicago and here at Google's headquarters, it is tricky to park. So I actually had to use that second bag that I bought for Esther to uh, bribe someone to allow me to park for free. Wow. Maybe I should go away. I don't know where I get things right. I don't know, should I stay up all night? Oh, thank you. Wow. Thank you. As I, as I like no, to say, it's so as an good. entrepreneur, especially in oh the food God. business, the product's not the problem. Everything else is. Mm-hmm. And that's really fundamental to success in any business. If, if you think about it, if the product's a problem... It doesn't matter if you have the best spokesperson, if you have the best marketing, the best branding. I'm sorry, Matt. We're getting distracted because your fine. popcorn's so good. That, like, we're not even. What do you say? I, I don't know. Who I can, is this, uh, sir? Who are I can, you again? I can start from the top. Uh, <laughs> uh, the product, at the end of the day, can't be the problem because if what you're selling inevitably doesn't satisfy uh, whatever the person's need is, be it at a services or product level, then it, it doesn't matter. Uh, you know, there are countless tales. I, I know everyone always goes back to, I say in the mid-90s, mm-hmm. there was that uh, barcode scanning mouse adapter for the, uh, and the, the whole concept was you plugged it in your computer, you'd scan a barcode on a newspaper or a magazine, and then it would open that newspaper or magazine's website on your computer, but it didn't really solve a, it didn't do anything. It wasn't a good product. So they spent all this money and all this marketing and it's now considered widely to believe the most colossal failure, uh, you know, modern era product of all time. If you're not, I know the cliche is solve for a need, but beyond that, make sure it actually does something good. You know, make sure it tastes good. Make sure people like it. Make sure it helps People do their accounting better, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever problem you're trying to solve, make sure that it's actually doing it and isn't just even half doing it. Thank you. 
Thank you for being on the show. I just want to jump right in because you studied political science and psychology, even though I think there's a lot of psychology that goes into food. How do you go from that to starting a popcorn company? When I was in college, I had the opportunity to work in the athletic department at USC. And one of the great things from that was I got to learn at the foot of Pete Carroll, who, uh, while he was there, had one of, if not the greatest run of a football coach in uh, USC's history. And he always had this saying where we want to do it better than it's been done before. And when I was looking at what I wanted to do with my life, that was always echoing in the back of my head. Um, Popcorn had always been pretty meaningful to me in a variety of ways, ranging all the way back from when I was a little kid and would have it at the Lincoln Park Zoo with my dad. And then uh, throughout different times in my life, uh, I knew I always wanted to be in business for myself. And at the time, I wanted to be, and still do, wanted to be in the products business. Um, but I didn't really know what that meant. So I was looking around and I said, well, what's meaningful and important to me? And I landed on popcorn. And then uh, hearkening back to Coach Carroll's words, I wanted to do it better than it's been done before. Um, there are a lot of places out there that it's merely a commodity. And that's why what they sell for, uh, you know, is what I sell for $150 because what they're looking to do is just get the cheapest ingredients and get it in a can and out the door as quickly as possible. Whereas, you know, we take great care in our recipes, we take great care in our packaging, and we take great care in making sure that, you know, as you ladies alluded to earlier, uh, that they're getting the value for the price that they're paying, especially being, you know, positioned as a top-tier premium brand versus something you might get on the bottom shelf at a grocery store. Hmm. So when you started college, did you instantly go, I think I want to work for myself? Because when I think about that, then I think, well, then where does the other stuff go, get it, come into play? And what caused that ultimate switch where, where you're like, you know what, straight out of the gate, I'm just going to go at it on my own? My family's got a weird entrepreneurial history Uh, My great-grandfather on my father's side was a butter and egg distributor and produce distributor here in Chicago and did very well for himself and then sold and uh, managed to squander his fortune in the stock market um, thinking he knew he could trade commodities as well as he could produce and distribute them, which was not the case. On my mother's side, my grandfather owned a truck body painting business and is is called Pen Truck. And his claim to fame was that he did uh, a lot of the design and detailing for a lot of the Chicago Tribune trucks in their early days. So entrepreneurial spirit's always been uh, in my family. My father... Uh, also had an entrepreneurial streak, but inevitably, sometimes the realities of raising a family don't allow for such things. I mean, he did very well for himself. He wound up uh, rising to number two in his company, um, but inevitably, he always had a boss, and he would always say to me, whatever you do, just make sure you never have to deal with anyone else's bullshit at the end of the day because life's too short. So figure out a way where you can work for yourself because no amount of money or prestige is worth having to have 
it come down from the top on you. I love your father. Wow. So do I. Um, Is and, he still around? Uh, no, he passed nine years ago. And um, my w- mother, one of her regrets was that she wasn't able to be more involved in her family's business because at the time, uh, she'll probably get a little mad at me for saying this because it kind of shows what her age is, but uh, (laughs) women were not really as accepted to be uh, in really any uh, workforce position other than teacher or librarian or all the cliches. So she was unable uh, to get involved in her family's business and uh, consequently, that business is no longer around. It hasn't been for quite some time. But she, yeah, because you know, if a woman had done it, it'd still be killing it. I would certainly hope so. Uh, knowing my mom, I, I think that would definitely be the case. But unfortunately, that's not how it played out. So she, in her own strange way, also had a entrepreneurial streak and currently is a, a realtor. So she, even though she has a boss basically works for herself. And that was something that was really drilled into me from the beginning was you just own the building, own the team, own the business because, you know, whether you make all the money in the world or you scrape to get by, the value of that supersedes anything that you could possibly ever gain otherwise. So did you ever have a job before starting your company? And yeah. did you have previous companies that you started? So, sort of. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, so I had, I've, I've worked as a host in a restaurant. I've worked as, uh, you know, an office clerk admin in high school. I've done kind of specialized consulting roles for, uh, you know, people who had been mentors to me. So I, I was very familiar with an office environment uh, and then also kind of the coming from the top role. Um, I was not that guy specifically, but I was in a fraternity. So I do, you know, I did have to navigate that hierarchical structure. And I just remember thinking after my sophomore year, junior year in college, like if this is what the real professional world is going to be anywhere near what this fraternity tomfoolery is like as far as, <laughs> you know, yeah, who gets it. to live where and you know, how much money we spend on a party or why can't we do this? I said, I said this is just not going to be for me. So, um, yeah, I had small things here and there, um, whether it be, you know, brokering concert tickets or sporting event tickets or just finding some type of niche uh, thing to you know pay the bills while I figured it out. That's that's been it's it's always been looking for a way to do it myself versus being part of you know a corporate or even small scale structured environment where I'm not uh, the owner. I mean, see, the thing that always comes up with me when I think when I hear this conversation is that you had parents that you know showed you a vision of what entrepreneurship looks like and they didn't force you to become a doctor or an accountant or a lawyer. I mean, they were accepting of you deciding to not do whatever, you know, they were maybe thinking you should do. I mean, they allowed you to follow your own path because we talk to entrepreneurs all the time and um, many of them that start their own businesses, they did not grow up believing they were going to be an entrepreneur. They really had to buck a trend and find their way. And it sounds like you were just like, you know what? 
it's going to be okay. And your parents were like, yeah, make sure you own it, whatever you do. I love it. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they encouraged, yeah. you know, if I would have been a lawyer, they would have been thrilled. If I would have been a doctor, I'm sure my mother would have been even more thrilled. <laughs> but, you know, she's, she's very happy with what I'm doing now mm-hmm. because she knows I'm happy with it. And it's fulfilling all of their hopes for me, not their vision or their demands or their wants, but you know, I, I don't have any children yet. Uh, yet, but okay, mom. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I know. I mean, you 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 it, mentioned that you're married. I am and married. You haven't been married that long. I've been married for almost two years, See? and we've been together for a little over seven. Congratulations! Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. A little over seven. I don't have to get married for a while then. <laughs> You know, here's the thing. Everyone's kind of got their own path when it comes to that stuff. Um, my folks got married late for the time, mm-hmm. and it worked out for them. Uh, this morning I was, I hate to admit this, I was perusing the Instagram, and uh, one of the people who I follow is Sarah Blakely, and she had a little blurb saying, you know, it was a little napkin. It said, uh you know, single, married, building my empire, and the last little box was checked. And she said, I didn't meet my husband until I was 35. I didn't get married until I was 37. And, I mean, she's Sarah Blakely. Right. So right. everyone just, and I really like this song, so I know we don't have the money for it, and I don't want, I don't want to get your podcast and any licensing issues. <laughs> no issues. No, we that's fine. We don't have uh, the money for you know, it. But like, like uh, you know, one of my faves, Taylor Swift, said, you just need to calm down. I was born to love you in the morning. In the evening, I don't know. When it's here, summer's gone. You're going to wind up where you're supposed to be if you work to be there. Nothing, you know, the, uh, the, the so as I mentioned when I worked for Coach Carroll, I, I worked, my main job was working with a gentleman by the name of Ed Ogeron, who's now the head coach at LSU. But at the time, he was uh, Coach Carroll's uh, defensive line coach and recruiting coordinator. And he had a big sign up in his meeting room, and it said, the only person that can block you is you. And... You know, you wouldn't think that uh, some meathead football quote would necessarily be so applicable to the rest of your life or to the rest of the world. But the reality is, is you you choose whether you or not you want to be happy. You choose whether or not something's going to bother you. You choose, you choose it all. Now, yes, everyone's got their challenging circumstances, and you know, some people are in positions where it may be a lot more difficult to have and find that happiness or have and find that success. But there's there's no reason that anyone is stopping you from doing what you want to do. And if they are, there's an opportunity somewhere, somehow to find a way around it because you can control how you react to things and how you move forward. Popcorn is such an overcrowded space. There are so many varieties of popcorn. There are so many people making popcorn, big brands, small brands. And of course, being in Chicago, um, there's a lot of competition. And you have two big ones 
that you, I believe, would be up against. We won't mention their name because we love yours the best, obviously. So how do you... How do you overcome that? And is that even something that you're overcoming? I mean, how do you put yourself in the context of some of the two most well-known names in popcorn in Chicago? Sure. Uh, I don't worry about what anyone else is doing. Quite frankly, I don't have the time or the energy or the bandwidth. And if they're worried about what I'm doing, then that's less time they're spending worrying about what they're doing. Uh, you know, again, Coach Carroll said... We don't. We we have a, a nameless, faceless opponent every week. We're competing against ourselves to be the best that we can be, and I view it the same way. I don't worry. I, I don't have time, nor do I really care. I mean, every once in a while, I'll take a look around and see someone's copied what I've done, and that just lets me know that what I'm doing is making an impact. Oh my god, copying! I'm shaking my head. I can't. Listen, you know, you, the small businesses. We're we're always under some kind of you know, attack or theft or something. Like people are always trying to get our ideas because they're really large companies don't have some of the skills no. at, in front of them on a day-to-day basis that we have. And so, you know, they look and they're like, oh, that looks like a good thing. And they're big enough that they can take it. Sure. But even so, yeah. it doesn't matter because you're still doing it. I mean, I've had packaging concepts copied and people even saying, oh, you mean like those other guys? I mean, you mean, and I say to them, oh, you mean like how they started doing it after I was doing it? And most people don't really, you know, it takes them a second to process what that means and they can't really understand that how how could someone small not be copying something big? But you're right. Usually someone big is copying someone small because they're bullies, because they've got the bandwidth to do it. But the funny part is even when they do, more often than not, they're not doing it any better than you're doing it. I mean – Yes, some people take your original concept and make it better. That's fine. A lot of people take your original concept and fail miserably because they're not doing it with the the magic and the mojo that you're doing it with. So, so did you ever um, trademark any of your packages? Do you think about things like that? Yeah. So I've got a trademark on the name Billion Dollar Popcorn. Okay. I've got a trademark on my name, Burgos Popcorn, and I – if I don't have it, I think it's in process. I should probably check on that. Not that you mentioned it uh, on, the, on the kernel. Mm-hmm. Um, those three things. But, you know, I was the first one to offer bags and scoops with our tins. That's not a trademarkable concept. That's just something that we're doing. It's like, uh, you know, someone out there was the first one to do laceless sneakers. Well, Nike does laceless sneakers. It doesn't mean that no one can do laceless sneakers just because – whatever sneaker company did it first. So it's then becomes a question of, is the smaller sneaker company doing laceless better than anyone else? You know, if, if uh, you know, sticking in the sneaker universe, if Nike started making a wool something or other, does that mean they're making it better than Allbirds? Right. I don't know. That's right. for the consumer to decide. But inevitably, Allbirds has, be- if, if people are copying Allbirds, that's because Allbirds has become the master or mastress of making wool whatever their secret magic <laughs> shoe is. I don't own a pair. I mean, I love, I love this conversation because a lot of times that's when we're talking to entrepreneurs. They're so afraid of theft and sometimes they keep their ideas hidden for fear of stealing it. But again, when you keep your ideas hidden, then nothing comes to life and you don't go anywhere. And so, you know, when, when you're talking about this, Matt, it shows a level of, of confidence 
But also you're like, look, I'm putting my work out there. I'm protecting my work the way that I can, the way that I know I should and let the chips fall where they may anyway, because earlier, you know, you mentioned, you know, you're doing what you're supposed to be doing. Sure. Right? I mean, this is what you're supposed to do. So and I think that's, I think that's really brilliant. I mean, I mean, Esther, you're shaking your head a lot because we spent a lot of time talking about appropriation mm-hmm. um, and trademarking and how do you protect your ideas and things like that. And, and what, you know, how do you keep moving forward amidst all obstacles? Yeah. And I just want to know, like, what are some of the things that you feel like make your company stand out among those other companies? Like, what's at the core that you're like, we're just going to focus on this aspect because this is what we do. And that's why we're not them and they're not us. No matter what, staying at the premium portion of the universe. You know, we're never going to skimp on packaging. We're never going to skimp on product quality because if we switch out, you know, sugars, we can get uh, an extra 15% gross margin, which will allow me to do this or allow the company to do that. If you can't be making and doing your best, then you're going to fail everywhere else. You're running out of things to say. Maybe I should go away. One of my favorite customers, I haven't seen him in a while because I think he moved, but he made a point to me. The first time he came in the store, he was aghast at the prices that I was charging, but he still paid it. And he came back a second time because the product was great. And I asked him, I said, why did you come back? He goes, well, you know, I thought about it and I was looking at your packaging. And and before I made my first purchase, I thought to myself, no one's going to put crap in something this nice. So, I mean, people do and people can, and there's no, you know, lockdown on metalized tin foil bags, but I just make sure that I'm presenting as best I can, the best that I can do on a daily basis. And I'm also in a position where I don't get to rely on 70 years of legacy or millions of dollars as a a publicly traded company. I've got, you know, one shot when you come to my website, I've got one shot when you come into my store, and maybe you like it, maybe you don't, but that's all I'm really concerned with. When you are coming up with your flavors, how do you source that? I think about what Starbucks does when they're going around the country and around the world sourcing coffee beans, and they have someone that sniffs the beans. And I think I've talked about this before because, you know, they have a lot of lessons they can share with small businesses and, you know, how to do things at a Starbucks level. But, I mean, how are you coming up with your flavors? Do you have people working for you? Is it just you alone? Are you are you going around the world sampling new things because you're talking about premium products and premium ingredients and premium packaging. What's your process around that? So when I first got started, I had a couple of fancy chef friends help oh. me out. And that was more along the lines of the mechanics because I knew what taste I wanted to get to, but I didn't know how to get there because I don't have any culinary background or even semi-professional training. As far as sourcing things, you know, Google is a wonderful place to start. Um, I like to work 
from the bullseye of where I'm located. So in case there is an emergency, I can get my hands on something. Um, I would suggest to anyone starting any products business that don't make it difficult for yourself to fix a mistake in supply chain. So, you know, I've got my main distributor for one of my ingredients, but then if everything goes haywire for whatever reason, or we get a big order last minute and my distributor is not available, you know, I can still always snag something at Whole Foods because it's available there. Oh my God, that's amazing. I mean, you actually can like walk to Whole Foods and get things that you need sometimes. I love it. It's not, (laughs) it's financially not viable. I mean, but but it's it's the agility of a small business owner that is what makes us better in some ways in a large company that, you know, we can pivot and make switches just like that when we need to um, fulfill the needs of our company and to get the things that our customers need. I mean, that's that's something that makes us stand apart too with Burke Creative, my main company, is that, um, you know, yeah, I go up against larger companies, you know, like, you know, sometimes um, the big ad agencies. But oftentimes if I win an account, it's because I can make those little changes really quickly. And they can always reach the owner. And that's what I love about your company, by the way. When I call you're picking up the phone or you're you're answering or you're available. I mean, you make yourself available. That's how we first met. You yes. know, I walked in because I was shopping on that street. I think I was buying some lotion at my favorite my favorite store on Armitage. And um, I was like, oh, my God, there's like this little tiny – what is this place? There's popcorn, my favorite. And it was like this little, you know, doorway and some stairs. And I thought, what is it? And I, and I walked around, I looked in, and you were standing there. And you, you actually said hello to me. And I thought, wow, that was inviting. And I walked in and we immediately started talking. And I felt a very, you know, personalized uh, customer experience. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to buy all the popcorn. <laughs> yes. Except that was... I looked at the price on the, the world's most expensive popcorn. I said, but not that one. Well, that's, that's reasonable. <laughs> I mean, very few people dive in right away at the, the <laughs> top level. Because what if you don't like it? You know, whether it be in drinks or fruits, you know, Food is the the trickiest business to be in because what you think to be delicious, you know, I may think to be awful. Mm. And that's why my fellow business, fellow food business owners and I have this ongoing discussion about how Yelp and reviews should only be for services and products that aren't so discretionary. Uh, if someone doesn't cut your hair well, you can put a picture up and say, my hair's jacked up. If <laughs> you know, if if uh, the auto mechanic fixes your car and then you're back a week later because they you got rope doped, that's great. But salty to one person is not salty enough to another person. And so, you know, I, I think there is there could be something to be said where you know, oh, we ate at this restaurant and there was a bug in my food or we ate at this restaurant and, you know, I saw the chef didn't wash his hands or or something along that lines. But it's, my personal belief is that reviews should not fall into the culinary world because it's just not something that can be replicated, even, even to the point of, if I hand you an orange and I hand you an orange, those both those oranges may have very different pl- flavor profiles, even if they came from the same tree in the same vineyard at the same time of year. So you may not like oranges. You may love oranges. Swap the orange. You may hate that orange. You may love that same orange. So how 
How can you review something? I don't know, should I stay up all night? I don't know. I don't know, will I get things right? I don't know, should I stay up all night? Do you consider yourself a creative person? Yes, absolutely. Uh, not in the sense of I create amazing popcorn uh, for people to consume, again, going back to taste, but we, we're trying to create an experience that can be enjoyable for everybody. You know, you may not like popcorn. You may not like our best caramel corn ever, or you may be allergic to our way too expensive white truffle, but just a simple buttered popcorn, our big time butter may do it for you. And to me, that's a win. I'm not looking for people to love everything. I'm just looking for them to love something. And it's my goal to be creative and how they have that experience. It may be interacting with the packaging, you know, as Jinja mentioned at the top, you know, we've got this beautiful mystery black and gold box. This is creative. Making, you know, coming up with, uh, you know, on the back of our packaging here, there's fun little stories just to keep you entertained as you're walking around. Who pays attention to the back of a popcorn bag? I, I do. You do. But I also think, you know, when I was, when I was, when we were researching you, um, you also source your materials from and your products from the Midwest. And why did you make a decision to do that? You know, you said earlier about premium materials. There's premium materials, you know, in California too. So what's your what's your philosophy around a local experience, which is what it sounds like to me? So some of it's happenstance, but a lot of it is working from the operational center of my universe. Okay. You know, bringing in whatever from Washington State is fine and dandy, but if I can find something just as good here in Chicago or Indiana or Wisconsin or, you know, Ohio, then why wouldn't I? There's nothing worse as a business owner in the products universe than having to wait on raw materials to produce out your goods. So, you know, and and then you have to decide, is there that much of a difference between, quote, the best and the second best? And a lot of times there may not be. And a lot of times you may just be buying, and it's funny I say this, you may just be buying a brand. You may just be buying a name. And it, it may be that this brand or this name that you're buying is actually just being made by somebody else and their name's getting slapped on it, you know, co-packing, co-manufacturing style. So, you know, I really dove into, you know, who and what. Now, I'm still pretty small, so a lot of the stuff I buy at the local distributor level, um, one of our ingredients, I, you know, as I was doing my research, I called the manufacturer and they said, well, how much do you want? And I said, well, what's your minimum? And they said, a truckload. And I said, oh, goodness. Okay. Uh, well, who do you sell to? And they said, we sell to these five people. And those five people, one of them was a distributor here in the Midwest. So I called them up and I said, hi, I'm looking for this. And they said, okay, great. Well, how much do you want? And they said, well, what is your minimum? And they said, well, it's a pallet. I go, ooh, that might be a lot. Who do you sell to? And they said, and this is when I first got going. And they said, uh, well, we sell to this guy. And uh, I said, okay. And, and so I called the, the last guy and I said, hi, I'm looking for this ingredient. He goes, okay, how much you want? I said, a bucket? He goes, great, it'll be there tomorrow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, I love it. 
When you decide that you want to do something like popcorn, like produce a physical product into the world, where did your mind even start? Like if I said today to myself, I'm going to make popcorn. Like I don't even know outside of Google how I would even begin to create the prototype. What was your thought process around that? Uh, I got to get with someone who knows something about this. So that was step one. And then I've always been a pretty avid reader and, you know, pre-Google, although it was around and very much available when I got started, you know, the library is a great place. Uh, you can learn a lot for next to nothing. What's or a library? Free. I, I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna cut library. this out. I'm joking. He's, um, <laughs> it's a mythical place. It right? is a mythical no, place but, these days. It, it, it from it Harry is. Potter. But you know what? But what's interesting is that if you go to the library, the people who work there will be able to put you in what you need faster than you can get there on your own. Who's who's an expert in something that I'm gonna have to do? Okay. All right, and then what is someone who's already doing this doing? You know, they're not going to give me their recipe or how they do things, but, you know, I got 2015 vision, so I can go into a store or a shop and see the name on the equipment and, you know, white pages, yellow pages, Google, Mm -hmm. start making phone calls. People are excited to help and to get involved and to actually talk to someone these days. I mean, uh, for something else, I, I called a guy who I met once six years ago, five, yeah, six years ago. Yesterday, out of the blue, I said, hey, we met at this event this one time. I'm working on this thing. You know, I'm not trying to sell you anything. Here's a problem I'm trying to solve. And he's like, oh, yeah, all right. I got a few minutes. And at the end of the call, he said, you know, this is the best call I've gotten all day. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate the time and I appreciate the help. So in, and especially when it could potentially lead to something positive for him. And if you're a company, there's nothing better than an inbound sales call. There's not. It's so hard to sell anything. And someone's coming to you and saying, I want this. Like, how amazing is that? I have a, a friend who's, who does something in the candy universe. And his business is exclusively inbound sales. I said, how do you do that? He goes, we've been around. We know what we're doing. And people know who we are. And he goes, and if popcorn doesn't work out, we'll just hire you to be our outbound sales guy. <laughs> but You sound like a very curious person. You figure things out on your own. And you execute There are many of us in entrepreneurship and that are small business owners that we have great ideas we don't execute. I mean, do you, are you like a one man show? And I'm not asking how big your company is, but how do you do all this and get your work done and execute and run a company? Like, where does this come from? This, this capacity? Let's talk about that. It's a decision not to be outworked and it's an internal drive to be able to say at the end of the day, I did the best that I could today and I want to do the best I can tomorrow. And if the opportunity presents itself to do better tomorrow, I'll do better tomorrow. The opportunity may not present itself to do better. You know, a lot of people say, let's get 1% better every day. 
the reality is you can't always get 1% better every day. You might not even get 1% better every year or every five years, which, you know, contrary to the, the, my opinion anyways, to the thought that you must always be growing or you're dying, that's not always the case. Wait a minute. Really? I mean, one of the first things I learned when I opened my company, my first, well, probably my second or third large client, and he said to me more than once, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. I mean, that was his mantra. I mean, he was serious about that. Now, his company was acquired by a large, you know, multinational company. So he walked out of there with an incredible amount of money. But talk a little bit about what you mean by that. There are times where the opportunity to grow, at least from a dollar's perspective, will not be there. The, you know, it may be that this particular year, you're a little down. It may be that the next particular year, you're a little down. Now, a pattern may emerge and you may have to address that pattern, but there's also gestations within growth. And I look at it this way, you know, again, going back to Coach Carroll, he said that one of his biggest influences was John Wooden, the great UCLA basketball coach. And it took John Wooden seven years to figure it all out in his book, as he, as he recounts in his memoir. You know, they were good. They were above average. They were gr- about to be great. They were great. And then they were unstoppable. And once he figured out after that first year of unstoppable – he, he's, I mean, there's no debate other than maybe Coach K and, you know, <laughs> where your loyalties may lie. John Wooden's the greatest college basketball coach of all time. And if it took him seven years of being a head coach, not to mention his years playing the game, his years as an assistant coach, to figure it out, he was always growing and developing, but that doesn't necessarily mean it was always translating to more wins. You know, there, there, just because the dollar amount isn't, more than it was the year before doesn't necessarily mean that you're dying as a company. Now you have to evaluate if that number is flat or down. Is it because of an excuse or is it because of a reason? And then that brings it back to why I do what I do and how I do it. It's because, you know, uh, it's you against you at the end of the day. It doesn't matter whatever anyone else thinks. It, It comes down to, can you give your best effort for yourself? So is that your signal? Because if you're if you if your signal isn't money, what is the signal that you see that tells you I may not be growing now, but I see the potential to grow later or I know I'm going to grow somewhere down the line. I mean, cuz I feel like if your only benchmark is money, yeah, I guess you're right, but what is the it's, thing that keeps driving you then? Yeah, it's it's the What are you looking learning, for particularly? It's the knowledge and it's trying to limit the mistakes that you make. Everyone's going to make, no one's perfect anymore. You can't, I mean, it's just not a thing. Like perfection is not a thing. So you're going to make a mistake. You're probably going to make that same mistake two or three times. It's can you manage to avoid it the fourth time? Can you grow to learn to avoid it the fourth time? And then can you take what you've learned with those, with that specific mistake, you know, times one, two, three, and then to an extent four, and make it so the next mistake only happens twice. Hmm. And then you limit your mistakes. So that's that's why I'm not completely sold on if you don't make one more dollar than you made the year before every year, then you're dying as a business. And truth be told, some businesses just top out, and that's okay. Some businesses, you know, 
a friend of mine, he's an accountant and he's got a wonderful CPA business. And he was saying he was considering chasing after a massive contract. Uh, But inevitably he passed because when it was all said and done, yes, his bottom line was going to be a little bit bigger, but he personally was only going to make an incremental amount more. And he knew that the headaches that were going to be coming with this big contract weren't worth it. You know what? I love it, Matt. That is that is a recurring theme in all of our lives yeah. as entrepreneurs. How do you decide to say no? I mean, really, that's what you're talking about. And the thing that you're saying about incremental change is also important because oftentimes when we talk to small business owners, we get this feeling that because most of the time the only people that are in the limelight are the people who have reached some idea or societal idea of success, there's never that vision of who's in the middle ground, like fighting the good fight every day, who's still trying to get from where they are to a place of what they would consider a place of prominence or abundance or whatever the parameters are. There's like a huge blind spot between first starting out and being on the cover of Forbes, and no one really talks about that middle part. And so a lot of people don't know that they're doing okay. <laughs> and aren't we aren't we in a, an, a, a time right now where there's a lot of middle parts, like you said, that are not getting visibility? I mean, there's so many of us, but... It's um, part of us living in a performative culture. Like, you know, when you go on Instagram, when you look at the cover of Forbes, like, People are usually only talking about the most successful highlight moments of their business. Yeah. Those, so not, uh, I'm, and I say this with the caveat that I've read these magazines, I read these magazines, I enjoy them, and I think that to an extent there is quite a bit to be gained yeah, from same. Inc., Fast Company, Entrepreneur Magazine. They're great to learn from, they're great to generate ideas from, but they skip over and to an extent they're fantasy because you know the cliche article of so and so's business was having trouble and they doubled down on it and they mortgaged their house and it all worked out you know for every one of those there's two dozen people who are working out how they're going to keep their house with the bank so it's important to realize that a lot of these massive successes that you were seeing are either fantasy to an extent, they're lottery tickets. I'm not saying you can't achieve them. I think, you know, you just have to realize that what goes into being on the cover of Fast Company isn't the reality that a lot of us are going to live. And even when people get to that point, I mean, Elizabeth Holmes on the cover of all of them with Tyrannos, and she's going to jail. So my whole thing is, it's like in horse racing. They put, they call uh, blinkers and blinders on the horse. So all they do is look ahead. And it goes back to earlier about the competition. You don't have the time to look to the left or to the right if you're a business owner. You need to look straight ahead and you need to see the field for what it is. But you can't worry about what's on your sides. Because if you do, that's when you get away from worrying about what's going to make you and your business special. And by ignoring all the noise and just looking straight ahead, 
you'll be able to actually enjoy your journey, whether you make millions, whether you have a nice little side business. You know, a a friend of mine worked for a company called Gumroad and they raised all this money and it was like the greatest thing and it was going to be the digital Amazon and then Amazon was going to buy them. And just recently, you know, the founder wrote this nice missive saying, we raised too much money. Here's what actually happened. Here's how it goes. We wound up being a tax write-off for our investors. I now own the company 100%. You know, it makes me a nice living side business, and now I'm going to go do something else. And that's fine. You know, maybe he could have just shut it down completely. He found a way to keep it going. Good for him. But that's the majority of the, of the outcomes. But at the end of the day, it, it circles back to what I tell anyone who comes to me asking whether or not they should start a business or especially if they should start a food business, you know, I I read them the riot act and I tell them all the pitfalls and all the challenges and everything that's going to happen and whether they believe me or not, that's up to them. But at the very end, I say, but here's the thing. If you feel that for your life, you need to do this and you're not going to be complete without giving it a shot, then I am all for it because no one should go through their life without taking at least one, if not multiple shots at their dream and something that they've come up with. Now, whether you should or shouldn't be doing it, that's a whole other conversation. And whether you consider the pitfalls, that's a whole other conversation. But to me, I will never fault or poo-poo anyone for having ambition to want to do something that they think about constantly. Now it's time to tell me Things don't come for free I don't know will I get things right You seem very wise. What is going on here? Because you're <laughs> you're very you're you're relatively young, you're a new entrepreneur, you're newly married. Is this because, I mean, you already talked about your upbringing and your family and, and the visuals you had from your parents and the messages they gave you. But um, I feel like, have you had significant failures in business that you have this knowledge that you're sharing now? Or have you had a tremendous pivot somewhere that's giving you this perspective? Because you're, you know, you're giving analogies, you're bringing up coaches and guides you've had. How did you become this, this person with this amazing brand, Burkle's Popcorn? With, with this this confidence and assurity and this calmness that you're expressing. What happened? <laughs> Can you give it to me? Just pop it off. What? I mean, <laughs> no pivots. Um, Burko's popcorn has been plus or minus the same since I opened my store six years ago. Uh, I, you know... Anything prior to 2013 was just learning, um, learning how to cook, learning how to find suppliers. You know, I, I was in a shared kitchen space, so nothing on nothing on the pivot front. I've, I've always had a pretty clear vision of what I want to do and how I want to do it. Um, as far as failures, I mean, I don't know how you quantify a failure. I mean, sure, if I messed up an order or had to, you know, drive something to someone's house, it nine o'clock at night because we've run out of something like, yeah, that, but that's not, I mean, there, it comes down to, so, so no, no on failures. You know, I look at more like, I don't want to be a failure as a person. Um, 
So I just want to be, I want to be good to people. Um, where does all this wisdom and knowledge come from? Like I said, I, I read a lot. Um, you know, I don't have any one particular mentor or guide. Um, it's just uh, my folks had an, uh, an event at our home uh, a long, t- long time ago for um, like a scholarship dinner or something. And the caterer screwed up, just flat out screwed up. Like they forgot all the alcohol and half the chicken. And, you know, we're talking, people are already there. And, you know, my mom's not thrilled and clearly my dad's not thrilled. And rather than mother effing the caterer, uh, he just said, okay, how many pieces of chicken were you expecting to serve tonight? And the woman gave him the number. And then he turned to the bartender and said, how many drinks were you expecting to pour tonight? And, and give me a breakdown as far as, you know, uh, br- you know, uh, brand styles and varieties, you know, but keep it, keep it short and maybe cut the list in half. And he gave him the number and he gave him this. He said, okay, Matt, because uh, I happened to be home that night, he said, do me a favor, hop in the car, go to Whole Foods, go, go get that. Go, go get me what I need. So rather than spending the next hour worrying about the party being ruined because something didn't happen, immediately it was a cause to, it may not have been a perfect solution, but as the cliche goes, you know, good today beats perfect tomorrow. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing with us your amazing story about how you started this awesome popcorn company and for bringing popcorn most importantly. Can you tell the people how they can find you and your company? Plug time, the best. Yes, here we go. So, burkospopcorn.com for all of your popcorn needs for your listeners. Well, I'm sure this will be in the show notes. That's B-E-R-C as in cat, O-S popcorn.com. No dashes, apostrophes, or hyphens. Uh, Also, we have our social media handles, which I know Ginger's going to yell at me about this. We are not very active on, uh, and it's at Burko's Popcorn, one word, same spelling on Instagram, and I think we have Twitter. Shame, shame, Um, shame. I know. We can have that conversation off air. And then uh, we have a retail store, uh, in Lincoln Park here in Chicago at 904 West Armitage Avenue. As Ginger mentioned, we are down a few steps, just three below Dream Dry. Uh, the cross streets are Armitage and Fremont. The major cross streets are Sheffield and Halstead. And occasionally, not as much anymore because there's uh, a few more episodes, but occasionally you can find me uh, with my best friend in the whole world, Two Chains, on a show on Viceland called Most Expensivist with Two Chains, where uh, Mr. Chains and I do about a uh, nine-minute segment about Burko's popcorn and everything about our billion-dollar popcorn. So that's where you can find us. Um, I'm going to actually open this black box right now before we close it can out because I can't resist. Can you at least use a knife or something No, sharp? I'm not using a knife, Esther. I'm You're just going to open it. It's it. going to be... I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to open it. I'm so excited about this beautiful black box with Yeah, the, but then when I take a picture of it, it's going to look like. I was really wanted to keep this on tape, and now you just messed it up. I, I can, you, I can I cut this argument. part out, but go I ahead. I want the arguments to be on. Go ahead. Open we can it. always get another Why one. Why don't you just take the picture real quick, and then she can open it. See? Solving problems. I'm so eager. Can I open it now? I'm going to open this, Matt. I'm going to open this beautiful gift you brought get, us. Get into it. And see what's happening in this beautiful, amazing. 
Wow, everyone. Burko's Billion Dollar Popcorn, the most expensive popcorn in the world. Look at this beautiful container. This bag, it's made of gold. And I'm opening it because I'm just so excited. There's a little bit of a gold flake on the edge. Look. Oh, my gosh. It's real. I wasn't sure if it was real. I really was like, Why is wouldn't this it be real? real? I don't know. I just, it seems so elegant and amazing. Delicious. Thank you. Perfection. Yes. There's, uh, for, the, wow. for the listeners at home, Look, gold, gold dust is Have getting the on dust. the camera lens. <laughs> this was so much fun. Yes. Thank you for having this me. This was fantastic. And um, I'm so grateful that you came here to have this conversation with us. I love your popcorn. I love your branding. I love the typography. I love your shop. Um, I love your wiseness. And I, I feel like as you were speaking, I know Esther would agree. We were learning a lot about, you know, taking it easy and realizing that, you know, staying your path and looking for signs and staying focused and not always believing you have to be growing and big all the time makes me feel better. I mean, if it's your goal to be the biggest, baddest, yeah, whatever on the block, then by all means, strive for that goal. But right. realize that, you know, a, a lot of these overnight successes are either fabricated or you're not seeing everything that's going on. And things take time. But the most important thing is that you just continue to find at its core, happiness in what you're doing and joy in what you're doing. And when that stops, that's when you know it's time to do something else. I'm Esther Coro. And I'm Ginger Birkenbiel. And we'll see you next time. The Honest Field Guide podcast is produced by Burke Creative, written and created by Ginger Birkenbiel and Esther Coro. The podcast is recorded in the innovation and technology capital of the Midwest, Chicago, at Stomping Ground Studios in Ukrainian Village. Original music is written by and provided courtesy of Utah Carroll. Follow Honest Field Guide on Instagram and Twitter. The opinions expressed on the Honest Field Guide are opinions only and only represent the views of Ginger Burke and Buell and Esther Ikora. E.